everyone, and welcome back to the Strike and Ellicott Files, an unofficial podcast dedicated to all things Cormoran Strike and Robin Ellicott, as written by Robert Galbraith. My name is Kenz. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Pools. And today we'll be continuing our reread of the Ink Black Heart, this time covering chapters 98 through 102 of part five. Please be aware, as always, that our discussion of the Ink Black Heart will occasionally reference the ending of this book, as well as the rest of the books in the series. Before we do anything, I want to let everyone know that we are not going to talk about the sample of The Running Grave or reference anything that we learned in it. So if you're one of those people who didn't want to read it or didn't get to read it before it was removed, don't worry, we won't spoil you. Mm-hmm. As difficult as it will be, we yes. will not talk about it. We mm-hmm. are, our lips are zipped. We have taken a vow of secrecy. We are in the cone of silence. We're keeping the secrets. Yes, keeping the secrets. Secrets kept. Anyway, though, related to the running grave, we did get a little bit of news. And that is that Joe has a new Twitter header. Oh, my gosh. This yep. header is <laughs> insane. It is stuffed. It was a gift. I think she knew what she was doing when she dropped mm-hmm. this. I think so, too. I'm picturing her setting it up and like to herself and she puts in all this different stuff into it do you think that she sets this up herself i have to think she does it must be entertaining for her i wonder if she posts it and then kind of does a whole let's see how long it takes them to notice (laughs) thing yeah she probably has a few accounts that she's aware of that she's like I know y'all are analyzing the <laughs> hell out of this. Let me check. Well, she follows Bill and Katie, so she probably yeah. is watching. And Kurt. And Kurt, yeah. Oh my gosh. She's probably over here cackling away. I kind of wonder how long it does take us to notice. I don't know. Probably not that long. We've got some very obsessive people. Yeah, all it takes is one person to go to her page. Yeah. Okay, but there's a lot that she put into this header. Should we break it down of everything that's in it? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. Yeah, okay. let's do it. There are quite a few things of note. And I have to say, shout out to Bill from Strike Fans for a lot of these, because some of these I definitely did not know offhand, and he was able to find them. Katie found a lot, too. I got oh, yeah, a lot from yeah. Katie. Yeah, she sure did. So the first thing that we want to talk about is what appears to be a logo sketch for UHC. With the little heart hands. What if the cult makes these little heart hands at each other because it's part of their logo when they see each other it's like heart hand you know (laughs) it's so awkward maybe robin could do it to strike as a joke that would be really cute but if this is actually a gesture the cult makes at each other it seems like instagram aesthetic to me i can't Mm -hmm. divorce it from that so it's gonna be so weird i could see it happening if it's their logo yeah i could too we'll see so soon it's like a month away basically Oh, God. This time next month, we'll be losing our minds because it's a week away. The last week is the hardest. Yeah, the last week is very hard. It's like hard. when Cheryl Crow said the first cut is the deepest. The last <laughs> week is the hardest. Mm-hmm. You know? 100%. We should make that into a, a song. The last week, it's the hardest <laughs> part of waiting for the strike books. <laughs> yeah. Are they gonna make out? Are they gonna <laughs> bang? We've got a whole week to find out. Oh, my Let's God. Go. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like instead of wizard rock like there was with Harry Potter, I guess it's detective rock instead. Detective rock. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. Okay, so there is yet another I Ching card, Mm -hmm. which at this point, I'm like, how many packs of these things does she own at this point? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But this one that you can see clearly on the header is referencing hexagram 29. And this one is related to water, which super appropriate for running grave, right? Super appropriate. And then also danger. Dun, oh boy. Dun, dun. Hexagram 29, the two trigrams are so water over water. So it's water doubled. 
In the Wilhelm translation, which is the one that we know Joe's using for the epigraphs, it's called the abysmal instead of repeating chasms like it is on the card. In the cards that I have, the one mm-hmm. that Joe had in her birthday cake picture, it's also called the abysmal. Yeah. I actually had a couple that I wanted to read. So one is from that deck where it says yeah. the abysmal. It says water upon water, danger follows danger. Water flows until it meets an obstacle or is contained. Here, water is met only with more water, and its essential abysmal nature is compounded. It is crucial that one stays true to oneself when challenging circumstances follow each other. A time of testing proves the soul's worth. Sincerity brings success in the end. Oh, man. That bit about being crucial to stay true to oneself, it makes me so worried for Robin undercover in this brainwashing cult. But I think she will be able to stay true to herself. I'm definitely not worried about her being brainwashed. Are you? I'm not either. Not really. I've seen some people say that and I was like, I don't know if I think that that's a worry. I'm more worried about her feeling like she has to do things. Dive in and save people. Yeah, because I mean... She won't be able to stay true to her nature, which is stepping in and and saving. She's going to have to hold back, which is going to be hard for her. Oh, I was thinking like do things she doesn't want to do with her own boundaries. There are so many different ways. There's so many different ways that she could, yeah, that she has to stay true to herself. Yeah. But a time of testing proves the soul's worth is promising. Mm -hmm. And sincerity brings success in the end is. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. The other one that I wanted to read that I really liked is just one that I saw posted on Twitter by Ginger. Mm -hmm. I am 99% sure that I found the pack this comes from. I think it comes from a deck called Visionary I Ching and I found Mm -hmm. it on Amazon. The artwork and the, the wording matches up perfectly. So this one is called Dangerous Depths. And it says, exposure to danger brings good fortune to those who move beyond it. Like boaters staying afloat through white water rapids, those faced with serious challenges need to remain alert. They must take all available precautions and above all, keep going forward so as to remove themselves from harm's way. Once the danger has passed, everything flows smoothly downstream. The positive side of danger is that it offers an excellent chance to cleanse the senses and strengthen the spirit. Surviving a crisis can be tremendously reinvigorating, sharpening the eye and the mind for future challenges. It is reckless to court danger, but critical for inner development to not shrink from it either. Those who respond to dangerous conditions most effectively are those who can establish an inner bubble of calm in the midst of chaos. An emotionally stable center keeps one rooted in the moment, alert and focused. Courage at times like these spring from focused attention and a brave willingness to penetrate the moment of peril to its very core, to reshape and transform it. That just sounds like Robin to me. It does. I like this bit about how surviving a crisis can be reinvigorating, sharpening the eye and mind. Maybe it can reveal what's really important and help Mm -hmm. you make decisions about things that you might be pushing deep down. I think Mm -hmm. so. Maybe like water, it'll bring stuff to the surface, like a corpse in the yes. ocean, except this time it's feelings. Let's not talk about corpses. Well, it's a murder book. We're going to have to talk about some corpses. Sure. There has to be some corpses. I do like this one so much because it's a positive spin about facing danger because mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. everyone is so worried about trauma and this yeah. bringing her down. But mm-hmm. this interpretation talks about that it can be reinvigorating and you can yeah. come out of it on top. I, yes, mm-hmm. I, agree. I think it's very helpful. And it's also not really anything that I wasn't already expecting after reading the synopsis you know the idea mm -hmm. of having to face danger but coming out on top if you stay true to yourself is I think it's a good thing 
Mm-hmm. And we can focus on the hint, well, obviously, since Robin's a main character, that Robin is going into danger, but we know she's going to be successful. Exactly. Is it really a surprise that there's going to be danger in this book? No. Yeah. But the important part is how that danger needs to be navigated. And that's what she, we should be paying attention to for clues about what's going to happen in the book, right? Mm-hmm. The lines in this hexagram also talk about the importance of being content with small gains when it's not the time for great success. So I suppose that small gains are better than than nothing or mm-hmm. better than going backwards. So even if we only take a small step forward with these two, at least it's <laughs> something. I'm still hoping for confession. That's where I'm at. Same. Yeah, Same. that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. We'll get more into that in our predictions episode. But as of right yes. now, I don't know when that will be released. We're waiting. And also just to bring up a very important liquid, yes. I keep finding myself thinking water, water everywhere. Like from mm-hmm. Talbot's notebook. Mm-hmm. There's so much water and this is water upon water. So we've been speculating since we learned the title of this book that there could be bodies in water somewhere and the cover with the waves and the pier. It's clearly going to be important again, right? Yeah. It just makes me think with all of the Lethal White and Ink Black Heart connections, it has me wondering if we're going to see some Troubled Blood connections because we had the water and all the divination in Ooh, Troubled Blood as well. What? And this is another form of that. So that would be awesome. I would really love to see Troubled blood parallels and callbacks too. because i really really loved troubled blood it's yeah, so same. good so let's bring it all back mm-hmm. uh, except for the dick pics you can do <laughs> without those maybe yeah i would too because i mean troubled blood is my favorite so far i feel like this one's gonna beat it it already has yes it just has me thinking about what the water meant in troubled blood and the themes that we might get in the running grave you know are we looking at purification, washing away, like you said, things coming to the surface. Rebirth, renewal. Yeah, I'm excited. I really like what you said about things coming to the surface, obviously. Yeah, me too. Stuff that, you know, deep down. Yeah, not so deep down anymore. No, it's getting closer there. All right. So the next one is a book of poems and it is George Barker's Dialogues, etc. This was kind of surprising, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, it's a brand new poet. What the no. hell? Yeah, like I thought we were just going to get Dylan Thomas. Yeah. But there was a really great find by some folks on Twitter. There's apparently a running grave reference in the poem on a friend's escape from drowning off the Norfolk coast. Mm-hmm. There yeah. is. And it mentions Cromer. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. The reference to drowning could go with the theory about someone being left at sea mm-hmm. it seems pretty strong a lot of things make this theory seem strong i know don't they i'm so praying that these aren't red herrings and that we're actually gonna get it it almost feels like too obvious at this point That's that it's not I'm gonna hesitant. happen i know <laughs> because how oh it really seems likely but the fact that it seems likely makes me think that it's not likely I know, but then what if she's doing that because she knows that's what we're going to think. So (laughs) she's going to make it happen, even though it seems likely. Oh, Uh, She's playing 4D chess with us. She's Trixie. I feel like we're going to lose every time. Yeah. But I am really curious about there being two poetry references in this book to The Running Grave. Are they both an influence on the title and the themes? I think that they absolutely could be. The fact that Barker's poem on a friend's escape it makes specific reference to cromer and we know that thomas's poem 
with the running grave where the running grave means time instead of water that is one of the epigraphs of the book so there has to be some kind of thematic resonance there as well so yeah i think they're both definitely influences oh this book is going to be so much fun i know (laughs) i'm already looking forward to the epigraphs episode oh i am already preparing i am excited (laughs) pools do you have anything about george barker because you found some stuff on him right I didn't know who he was. I looked him up and he was a poet who was part of the New Apocalyptics, which is a group of poets who are defined by their use of surrealism and expressionism and myths as a sort of reaction to modernism. And Dylan Thomas has been grouped together with that same group, although he himself always refused to label himself as one. So I feel like their poetry, Barker's and Thomas's, it should share some stylistic and thematic features, although I have not done a deep dive on his poetry. Okay, what else do we have on there? There is a Yarrowstock container. I think that one's on Etsy, right? Bill found that on Etsy? Yes. Someone did. did. I'm assuming it's probably Bill or Katie or something. But anyway, yeah, there's a Yarrowstock container and then there were, I think they're called Yow Staves. I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure if these are just like a different way of the Yarrow Sticks. I don't know if they're similar to that i'm guessing that they are but i don't really know much about that they would be a way of casting they had the changing lines marked on them so yeah it would be i presume another way to cast still can't believe that she had the coins on her website so long ago i know Mm -hmm. oh this (sighs) woman so there's also a card or a box i don't know which it is but it has earth wood fire metal and water on it Mm -hmm. and wikipedia tells me that these are agents or phases from a Chinese philosophy called wuxing. And I'm sorry if I'm not saying that correctly. That's that's how someone said it on YouTube. So I'm going to go with it. And if you know anything about this, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just looking online. So Wikipedia says that it's usually translated as five phases or five agents as a five-fold conceptual scheme used in many traditional Chinese fields of study to explain a wide array of phenomena, including cosmic cycles, the interactions between internal organs, the succession of political regimes, and the properties of herbal medicines. The agents are fire, water, wood, metal, and earth. It appears in many seemingly disparate fields of early Chinese thought, including music, feng shui, alchemy, astrology, martial arts, military strategy, I Ching divination, and traditional medicine. So we got our I Ching reference. This is interesting because we know that the I Ching features in the novel, but what if there is some sort of wider influence of Chinese philosophy or traditions, maybe Mm -hmm. as part of the UHC? Yeah, this is one of those things that I think we'll have to see after. Yeah. There's also this really interesting thing with phases or cycles, and it says that in traditional doctrine, the five phases are connected to two cycles of interactions, a generating or creation cycle known as mother-son and an overcoming or destructive cycle, also known as grandfather-grandson. Each of the two cycles can be analyzed going forward or reversed. Mm. Mother-son makes me think Lita yes. strike. Yeah. I was thinking that the cycles of destruction and rebirth are going to be a big thing in this novel because of Dylan Thomas's poetry. Yeah. Talk about it in the predictions episode. So I feel like this fits with that. That's why I thought it was interesting too. Yeah, it is interesting. I have no idea if any of it means anything. <laughs> it could just be because it's part of the I Ching, but I'm mm-hmm. kind of interested to see after we read the book, if any of this applies. 
And hey, it's always good to learn something. It's something to look for that I wouldn't have thought to look for in the book without it. Mm -hmm. Are these also in the Chinese Zodiac? I think so. We're going to talk about the pig and the rooster next. <laughs> I got into looking at the Chinese Zodiac because of the pig <laughs> and the rooster. So yeah. Everything I know about the Chinese Zodiac, I learned from Chinese buffet menu placemats. <laughs> Do you guys have those? Yeah, that's the only way that I knew that I was, you know, born in the year of the rooster is because of that. <laughs> My family was big on the Mandarin and they had those little placemats that you okay. can read while you're bored. I know because every year Disneyland at California Adventure, they do a whole Chinese oh. New Year celebration. And so there's a whole thing where you can go look at your year. Okay. But anyway, let's talk about the two animals. So there's yeah. the pig and the rooster. Let's start with the pig. Mm -hmm. At first, I thought these were piggy banks and that maybe it was a reference to the money the cult was getting or something because you know you know yeah, cults they'd be do. getting money they do be but katie pointed out that the larger white pig does not have a slot for coins oh, so shit. it might not be a piggy bank and then she also found on google she found the same smaller pig the clear one that has the coin in it yeah she found what i think is the exact pig and it says these cute glass pigs are designed from an old historical tradition. When land was bought from a farmer, the farmer would give the new landowner a pig for good luck and prosperous farming. The coin inside the pig represents the money paid for the land. Hmm. So that's interesting. Maybe it is still a reference to money, sort of. Yeah. Or maybe it has to do with land. Could be like referencing superstitions, traditions. Oh, yeah. Financial prosperity as connected to those. I don't know. Okay, let's go to the rooster, though. I tried for so long to see if I could find this exact card online. So many reverse Google image searches were happening, but I could not find this card. I don't think it's another set of I Ching cards. That's what I thought at first, but I couldn't find any with that on the back. Yeah, no. We all kind of got to thinking that it had something to do with the year of the rooster, but I checked and it's a year off. 2017 is the year of the rooster, and I don't think we're going to get to 2017. God, I hope not. No, yeah, yeah I know. But Ken, you had a different idea. I did. This depends entirely on exactly how old Will is, and we don't know mm -hmm. that yet, but another year of the rooster is 1993. So if that was the year that Will was born, that would make him around 23, 24 when the book takes place, which seems plausible. Yeah. And if he is born between January 23rd, 1993 to February 9th, 1994, then he would be a water rooster. Oh, oh interesting. Water mm -hmm, makes that exactly. seem kind of likely, right? Uh-huh. Do we want to say our Chinese zodiac? Because I'm a wood ox. <laughs> How appropriate. What do you mean? Because you love strike so much. Yeah, and I'm like an ox is <laughs> like strike. It's a large furry animal and okay. you love strike a bunch. So yeah, I kind of associate it. I, I thought right. of strike like instantly it. when I heard wood ox as well. Yeah. What are you guys? I am actually a water rooster. Oh. oh. Hmm. Maybe if your theory is right, you're the same as Will. That would be neat. I am a fire rabbit. Oh, fire rabbit. sounds pretty Ooh. neat, actually. Yeah. Well, this made me think water strike and Robin, so I had I to also look. Google yeah. this, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 1974 is a wood tiger. And tigers are very Just thinking sexy. about that Twitter post that you put up with the extremely muscular tiger. <laughs> <laughs> I too thought of that tiger. Yeah. Mm. But it says tiger people are daring fighters. They are capable of standing up to the bitter end for what they think is right. Although they could be selfish from time to time in the little things, they are capable of great generosity. Tigers are unpredictable, always tense, and like to be in a hurry. Well, that doesn't sound inaccurate. <laughs> at all. Is he always in a hurry? 
I don't know about well, that. Well, he gets a lot of stuff done. He's always doing stuff. I just like that he's a tiger. I'm here for it. Me too. If Joe describes him as a tiger in this book, I'm going to think that this is mind. the reason. Yeah. And then Robin, she is a water rat. <laughs> People born in the year of the rat are optimistic, energetic, and likable. Mm. They are sensitive to others' emotions, but are stubborn with their opinions. Other characteristics of the year of the rat include quick-witted, resourceful, versatile, and kind. Well, that's pretty accurate as well. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So those are options for the pig and the rooster, right? Money, Chinese zodiac. But Mm -hmm. here's what I think is most likely. And this is another great find by Katie. She found a thread on Reddit about a pig and a rooster together. So a pig and a rooster tattooed on the feet or ankles. These emblems symbolized survival at sea. (gasps) Oh, Pigs and roosters were often kept in wooden crates, making them likely to float to shore in the event of a shipwreck. I mean, that seems like the likely thing, right? More so than Mm -hmm. the other ones. I like that. I mean, again, it all points to someone surviving the sea. It sure does. Which again, makes me feel like it's not true. Can we just get the book already? On this note, though, can I also just point out another thing that Katie shared Mm -hmm. with me? Because she knew that I'd love it. The whole pig and rooster thing is in Moana. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. How many times does Moana survive a shipwreck? or almost oh, drowning right so and, true. and her sidekicks are a pig and rooster i just loved that little bit of oh trivia god yeah that's good yeah i'll never look at pua and hey hey the same you know <laughs> also yeah. if you haven't seen moana what are you doing i fucking okay, love go moana. watch moana me too uh, so good i sense a moana rewatch in my future so yeah that's just really interesting pig and a rooster i feel like that's what it has to mean with all the water in this book mm-hmm. right Mm-hmm. So another thing that's in the header is some sort of object that's up on the top, right? It's over the hexagram yeah. 29, right? The little carving. Someone on Twitter was responding to Bill's thread. I think it's a Sarah is the name. So they said, not sure if it's been mentioned, but another object in JKR's header upper left corner, the small ivory carving looks to be an old Japanese netsuke. I think that's how you say it. Sorry if it's wrong. It says Chinese zodiac animals were common in Netsuke theme. I was wondering what kind of animal it was. Because I was like, is that a horse? Is that a dragon? Let me get the picture and send it to you. Okay. But so it's like, it's all the animals. Like it's the whole zodiac. Yeah. I see a monkey, a pig, a rooster. And now that I'm looking at the carving zoomed in on Joe's Twitter, it looks like different animals. Yeah. So, okay. So that must be what it is. Oh, there's a rat. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I think the Chinese Zodiac thing is an interesting avenue because this there's a few yeah. references to it there. Strike is going to love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh, I can't wait. Oh, I hope that he is outraged by some kind of nonsense. Outraged by the Chinese Zodiac. She said more <laughs> fucking Zodiacs is the one not enough. Now there's a whole other goddamn system. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to be furious. Anyway, I, th- I I think that we have everything from the header. There are mm-hmm. a couple of other cards that you can partially see, but you can't see what the number is. I don't think we'll be able to figure them out unless we bought the same cards and tried to match them up, which mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we should do for the sake of thoroughness. <laughs> right. I'm kind of tempted. I hear you. I was so excited when she updated this header because she's been mm-hmm. so quiet. But this gave us so much. And it's just fun to know that she's still kind of playing with us, you know? Yeah, it is. Thank you, Joe. That was really fun. Not that you'll hear this, but you know. It's the thought that counts. 
Okay, so we have a Q&A for this episode. I thought we were done with these. We actually have this one, and then there's one more for the next episode. Oh, oh I think you tricked us. Hold on, hold on. Trixie. <laughs> I did not realize that. Yeah. Okay, so what? which one do we have? Okay, so for this one, what are the main differences in Strike and Robin since the start of the series? I think those two characters have changed or evolved a lot since the first book. Deliberately, obviously, because that's this is what I hope to do. I hoped to show people changing and growing and learning. That's what's interesting about human beings, that, that they do that. Um, so in book one, Robin really was headed for a very conventional life, excited to be sent to a detective agency because she'd always had this secret interest and perhaps even ambition, but that was derailed by what happened to her at age 19. So she was not quite a starry-eyed innocent, but she was, could, because we, even then we saw this is a very resourceful person. This is an organized person. This is someone who clearly would like to explore this life. But I think you could see in book one that she couldn't, ha she couldn't have it all. She couldn't maintain that engagement and that particular husband and live the life that she was increasingly drawn to. So now we're really seeing Robin quite liberated. That's not to say her life is straightforward, because in this book her life is not straightforward. Um, and she realises something about herself in this book that is a real shock to her. Strike, meanwhile, when we met him, the change is equally great. When we met him, he was um, pretty much hours out of a very long relationship, really trying to make his way in the world and not successful, you know, barely clinging on to, to his office. And... What I, one of the things I love about strikers, in fact, is that I think it was the only thing I told Tom Burke when he started to play strike, so I wasn't hugely helpful. But I said to him, you know, he, he's never self-pitying. And I took that very much from, um, I've known a few veterans, and one of my oldest friends is a veteran. And I've never heard self-pity from one of them, even though some of them have been through unspeakable trauma. Okay, I'm sorry. But that particular husband. Oh my god! <laughs> that god. particular husband. This woman is going to kill me. She's going to kill me. Yeah. Oh my god! I will never get over that wording. That particular husband. Mm -hmm. Is it too early in the episode to go into the swoon closet? I'm asking for a friend. All closets are available. <laughs> we have a wide range of closets for your closet needs. <laughs> I mean, it's a very specific thing to say. It really is. Things like this really help give me more hope that the marriage foreshadowing is for sure going to pan out for these two. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think so. Absolutely. And this means something. Either she did it deliberately because it means that. Or she let it slip and it means what we think it means. I mean, that was the highlight of this answer for me, honestly. Yeah, there was another part of the answer. <laughs> as soon as I heard that, my brain was like, what? Yes. But do we all agree that the thing she realizes about herself in this book is that she's in love with Strike? I mean, yeah. Joe says it's a shock only to her. <laughs> right. It really should not have been a shock. It shouldn't have been, but... That it was a shock really shows that she is very, very good at denial. Just like someone else I know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, those two are tied together. And like you were just saying, Pools, Robin is an Olympic gold medalist in the Denial Olympics. Mm -hmm. Were there any thoughts about the comments about Strike's lack of self-pity? Because I feel like this is something that she's brought up a few times when she's talking about Strike. Yeah, I think it's something that Joe clearly likes about him. Mm -hmm. And it's true because when we meet him, he is in such a bad place. And it's amazing that he doesn't feel that self-pity. But he climbs his way up. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I love the Rich chapter because we get to see how far they've come. And them acknowledging how far yes. they've come and where they started. 
Yeah, I love that. Uh, and I mean, even in Buckhart here, he has rock bottom again, but we see him at his worst and he really, you're right. He's not self-pitying. I mean, he's insecure in this book. He's in pain. Yeah. He's kind of blaming himself for his own habits, but he's not sitting around moping and, and feeling sad for himself. I like it about him too. Also, something I couldn't help but notice is that her answer for Robin seems a lot more complete than the one for Strike because, you know, he's mm. not just changed how much money he's bringing in. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, of course he's changed more. I think that it's because Robin's personal growth is a bit more complete at this point. Mm -hmm. I do think that there's going to be more, obviously, for her. But the situation Robin was in where she's headed for this life that she thought she wanted and then suddenly realizing there's something she wants more in addition yes. to getting married and divorced, I think it kind of forced her to think about what she wants a little bit sooner than Strike. Mm -hmm. But I also think that if we're right that The Running Grave is the Book of Changes or the Book of Changes, then she can't say too much because she intends for him to have much more of this growth happening in, in the coming book or books. Yes. Strike's biggest changes. He's done a lot, but his real overhaul is starting now. <laughs> the strike overhaul. Strike overhaul. Mm -hmm. He's going on the Renault show, bringing the team of experts to sort of <laughs> redo everything. Going on Queer Eye. I was, I was just thinking say. that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a great point, which reminds me that the questions that Joe answers for Red and Grave are, I think, guaranteed to kill us even more dead than mm -hmm. the set of questions she did for oh, Ink Blackheart. I hope she does do an interview for The Running Grave. I love that Joe says that this is the one thing she told Tom Burke about Strike, that he's not self-pitying and that she says she wasn't really helpful. It's <laughs> funny to me because I remember an interview with Tom Burke where he tells the same story, but I remember him saying it was incredibly helpful or something <laughs> like that. And he said that he keeps it in the back of his mind when he's playing Strike. So I just thought that was funny, like as if JK Rowling isn't helpful. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> and then lastly, I just love the way Joe opens this answer by saying that her intention is to show the two of them growing and learning and changing because it's seriously one of my favorite things about these books. Yes. 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 Absolutely. I do find their growth and their changing. It's inspirational, right? It is. It's so inspirational and it's so human and it's so realistic and that sometimes mm -hmm. they take steps back, you know, or yeah. do stupid shit. It's an overall upwards trajectory. Yes. I love yeah, it. Yeah. It is really good. It's hopeful. It's optimistic. These books are kind of good, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just a, a bit. bit. <laughs> I guess I'd recommend them. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right. Are we All ready right. to jump into the chapters? Yes. Chapter 98. So in chapter 98, Robin experiences a major breakthrough in the case. And the epigraph, leering at each other, brother with queer brother, signaling each other, brother with sly brother. And that's Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti. I think this is about all of Anime's sock puppet accounts because we see Robin telling Strike in this chapter how all these accounts are circling around each other and signaling each other, as the poem says. Absolutely agree. So this is another repeat poem. She used Goblin Market before. The goblins in this are, I think, a very appropriate metaphor for the trolls. Because in the poem, these goblins are merchants. Um, what they're selling looks like fruit, but it's actually deceitful. It's death. And in the poem, when Lizzie won't eat their fruit, they attack her and they try to force feed her the fruit. In this passage in the poem, it evokes a really strong sense of sexual violation for me, which fits with a lot of their behavior with women on Twitter. Yeah. Honestly, there could not be a better 
better poem to sum up. These sly brothers that Robin's investigating. As a side note, could we start calling online trolls goblins? Because I kind of <laughs> like that. Oh, you know so-and-so? She's such a goblin. It's I just... know exactly the so-and-so you're referring <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, switch out the mythical creatures. Give goblins their turn. We couldn't use the troll in the dungeon anymore, which I really love. Yes. I just have to say, it's so funny to me that Robin is so upset about Strike wanting her to stay in and research the Lapine's Disciple account. She argues that it's pointless and Strike thinks it's pointless. But look, she cracks the case with her discovery that these accounts are all connected. <laughs> it also happens to Strike earlier when he's unable to walk but figures out who Thurzaz is by researching Twitter, right? Oh, yeah. So I guess really the takeaway for this book is that Twitter is very useful and not a huge waste <laughs> of time. All along, we were right to be sitting on our couches scrolling mm -hmm. through Twitter. I feel better about myself. Yeah, me too. I guess we're not solving a murder. I could solve a murder from Twitter. You never know, I guess. You never know. Okay, so the chapter starts with Strike stuck up in his flat because of his leg. You know, Robin is stuck too. I just wish that they would be stuck together. Pass that time together. Yeah. You mean playing D&D, &D, right? <laughs> Ken's. I know you're joking about that, but I would love to have Strike playing D&D because &D, I'm a big nerd. Also, other D&D &D nerds, what classes do you think Strike and Robin would play if they were forced to play D&D? Because I feel like Strike is obviously a paladin, 100%. Mm -hmm. But Robin, she might have fun as, as a rogue or a druid mm -hmm. or bard. I wish I knew what you guys were talking about. Yeah. Yeah, Lindsay's over here like you are speaking Greek to me. Total derail from minor joke that Ken's made. Sorry, I'll go back. Rewind. Yeah, they should be banging. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it, they would be a little less miserable. They're both yeah, so miserable. Yeah, they would be. Well, yeah. Yeah. One day they'll be stuck together. Yeah, I know. While Strike is up in his flat, he's doing some research on Nicole Crystal's ex, Marcus Barrett, who y'all remember as being the guy who had the picture that Nicole sent him saved to his iCloud account. I really love this line. Barrett was a handsome young man, black-haired and dark-eyed, with the kind of features Strike imagined a romantic novelist might call chiseled. <laughs> I love that. I don't know why, but it makes me laugh that Strike is thinking about romance novels. I just <laughs> want to tell him, like, hey, guess who's the main character of this romance, sir? <laughs> oh, is you. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Strike's read a lot of romance novels. Maybe he should. Get some tips? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't need any tips in the bedroom department. No, but in just the communication communication department let's find some books where the man confesses and tells makes this nice speech maybe ilsa can be like hey read this i've she highlighted it for you she, yeah. i've highlighted there's some sticky notes there for your reference strike i have this like fantasy of if he tells someone how he feels i want someone to respond she needs to hear that yes God. do you know what i mean because yes if it's ilsa i don't think ilsa would betray robin's confidence and say she no. feels the same way i think she would say something She's to like, say she needs to hear it strike do you understand what i'm saying she needs to hear that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's kind of a fantasy playing in my head i would love that anyway sorry that's totally off topic oh what is our topic anyways <laughs> i really? don't know strike and robin you're in the end we're on topic but back to the investigation sure <laughs> i'm wondering if this is the first time that strikes cynicism which mm -hmm. i mean we all shared it because trust no one in these books 
it turns out to be completely unfounded. These two people are genuinely friendly exes with nothing sinister or sad going on at all. Is that the first time in these books that the cynical outlook isn't proven right? It feels like it to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess as a detective, you have to be suspicious of everyone. Yeah. But it is kind of interesting that here's this example of two people who are defying his expectations of relationships. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch, but it is interesting. It makes sense to me. There's another moment here where Strike and Robin come so close to realizing that Anime is paper white because they're talking about the risk of someone impersonating Nicole and the possibility that Vikas would have wanted to meet up or FaceTime. And Strike correctly guesses that Vikas might have avoided something like that because of his disability. It says, what if he had speech problems? What if whoever was impersonating paper white knew it? and counted on him preferring to talk to her online rather than in person. Paperwhite would have been safe to press Vikas for offline contact knowing he wouldn't comply. A really superb bit of manipulation. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's right there. It really is. It's like one of them should have just taken that tiny, tiny next step and mm-hmm. said, okay, so who knew about Vikas's real identity, right? No. Doing that would have ruined the dramatic reveal coming up in a yeah, couple chapters. Yeah, of course. So, of course. Uh, you know, you gotta save but it. But they're so close. Here's another moment or clue that I really like. They start talking about Robin's look into Lapine's Disciple, and she says that she's also started looking into some of the other accounts, which of course we know are Gus. And Strike says, all the trolls are kind of blurring into one for me. Right. It's an offhand comment that's way more true than we realize at this point. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a good clue. And then they get even closer to the truth when Robin explains how the five accounts, and I think it's so it's Anime, Max, Lapine's Disciple, Evola, and Johnny B. Is that right? Did I miss Yeah, I think that's it. They're all coordinating with each other, these planned attacks on Edie and setting each other up for the Kosh lines. They Mm -hmm. are so close. Figuring this out would have actually been really useful for the investigation if they had Mm -hmm. to keep going. Because with five Twitter accounts to watch for activity while they're surveilling suspects, I bet they have been able to rule out people way faster. And whenever one of their suspects was out and not on their phones... They could have baited one of those accounts by DMing as like a pretend yeah. woman or something. Get enemy to respond. Bam, you've ruled out someone who's not on their phone. Like, yeah, mm, it would have been so helpful. It would have. I guess they would have had to figure this out so much sooner and yeah. been sure of it. Yeah. Switching gears, though, I love when Robin says, oh, thank God, when Strike <laughs> asks her to drive him to Grant Ledwell's house the next evening. She's mm-hmm. stir crazy. And she's even more excited to go to the office early and help set up furniture. It's so funny. Yes, it is. Oh, parallel to Lisa White, sort of. Oh. Because when she takes time off to go set up her and Matt's furniture alone. Mm. But now she's happy and excited because it's their furniture. Oh, Strike yeah. and Robin's furniture and Pat's. But she's just so funny with her, oh, thank God, because she's so bored. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm kind Counting on one of you to make sense of Strike's dreamlike state and the Battle of Neuve Chapelle. So I'm wondering, would cutting the layers of wire in this context just be referring to like realizing that these four trolls that are kind of circling around anime to troll Edie on Twitter are all the same person? So basically the same conclusion that Robin is about to come to at the end of this chapter? Well, I think that at this point, Strike's thoughts would be running along the lines of figuring out who these trolls are and their connection to enemy. So cutting the wire would be taking away their anonymity and in doing so, finding a path through them to enemy. It's a bit of a muddled metaphor, which I think we can blame on that tram at all. Yep. But these trolls have basically been doing enemy's dirty work. They're protecting him 
by snagging people on wire so that he himself can have clean hands. So it makes sense as to why Strike would think about it this way. This is a random aside, but I like this description of the nicotine vapor around him while he's thinking about his theory here. I know that we've talked about it before, like there was that scene between Strike and Robin and it representing things in the air, you know, between them and all that kind of stuff. But here where he's thinking about the case, it just feels like an updated version of the sort of traditional hard-boiled, you know, noir detective imagery that you usually see. Do you think he'd get the flavored ones? Because the image of him sitting brooding in a cloud of cotton candy flavored vapor (laughs) is so hilarious to me. (laughs) Oh man, that would be funny. Maybe we'll get to find out in the running grave. He's like, hey Robin, what's your favorite smell? She says lavender. Oh my god, if she said lavender, I'd fucking die. Okay. (laughs) All right. Mm-hmm. We switch back to Robin who can't sleep because her brain is on fire. And I think this is where she finally starts to realize what's going on with all these sock puppet accounts. And she adds two more names without really knowing why Zoltan and Scaramouche. Is there anyone out there who can think the word Scaramouche and not immediately follow it up in their brain with Scaramouche? Can you do the Fandango? It's a compulsion. No, I don't know who did yeah. it. Even Strike does it, doesn't he? Yes, mm-hmm. Strike does it too, yeah. I wonder if Joe had this song stuck in her head a lot when she was oh writing God, this book. I bet she did. But also, I love that we've seen Strike do this exact same process that Robin's doing here. We've seen Strike write things down in his notebook without consciously knowing why, just knowing that his subconscious was trying to tell tell him something like with the list of pairs he made in lethal white oh they're the same yeah now robin's doing it yeah mark it down as another parallel marked okay chapter 99 robin gets a phone call from zoe in the epigraph for chapter 99 we never know how high we are till we are called to rise and that is from aspiration by emily dickinson so i think strike and robin are literally called to action in this chapter when zoe calls but up until then the limitations that strike is under right now haven't been such an issue yet so when it says we never know how high we are i was just imagining this invisible line where strike has almost reached the end and he can't push himself any further and now it's being tested with this call to rise to action. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. It's an interesting interpretation. I like it. I was kind of feeling that this was related to the courage it took for Zoe to make the phone call, right? Mm. To take the step to betray Annamie because she's been a sad and powerless figure for pretty much the entirety of this book. Mm -hmm. But she received a call in the form of her conscience and Annamie's confession. And now she's going to rise to it to get Eden justice. I wasn't even thinking of of connecting it to Zoe because I was Mm. focused on Robin getting the call literally. You know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, I like that we can find ways to apply it to both sides of the okay. phone call. Yeah. So getting into the actual chapter. So chapter 99 opens back at the office with Pat answering another one of these troll type calls from somebody who isn't saying anything this time, not even breathing. I think we know this is Zoe. I'm just trying to imagine poor Zoe trying to get the courage to make these phone calls and not being able to say anything. Yeah, it's definitely Zoe. We know she calls back in a few minutes. And later she says that that man who kept answering the (laughs) phone, that was funny. I wonder if the fact that she thought Pat was a man contributed to her being too scared to speak. I think so. I think it must have been, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bet she was just hoping that Robin would answer. I think that was it. Yeah. I imagine Robin answering would be a lot more easygoing than Pat would be, especially because Pat is annoyed. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pat and Strike, man, they are yeah. a lot alike sometimes. Oh my God, yeah. they are. They are quite a pair. Speaking of 
Pat and Strike. I love this moment when Strike checks in with Pat to make sure that she's okay after what happened with the bomb. Yeah, it's their first time being back in the office and he's worried about her. I kind of wish she would have asked him the same thing because he probably would have given a similar, why are you asking? I'm sure. Mm -hmm. It made me laugh that her response, she responded suspiciously. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder what she was suspicious about, you know, why he's asking or caring or whether she's worried he's going to think she's not okay. I feel like it was like, why the hell are you asking? Who are you? Like, (laughs) what? Who are you? And what have you done with Farmer and Strike? (laughs) Was anyone else interested in reading the polite but firm letter that Strike wrote to their landlord about wanting yes. to increase their rent. <laughs> yes, definitely. You read my mind because I thought the exact same thing. What did he say? I guess that last time I checked, there weren't any bombing clauses on the lease. So go fuck yourself isn't particularly <laughs> polite. No. But a politer version of that. I wonder if he copies Robin on these kinds of emails. Mm. He must, right? He probably copies Robin and Pat. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just kind of imagining Robin reading it and smiling to herself because she'd read through the polite lines and know what he was really thinking. Oh, that's cute. Oh my gosh. I don't know if you guys remember, but there was this video. It was back when Obama was still president during the uh, White House Correspondents Dinner where he had one of the guys from Key and Peele be his anger management translator. Oh, I kind of remember that. It was really funny. So like Obama was like talking how he normally talks, but yeah 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 the other half of the guy was like translating it into what he actually meant that's exactly what robin would be doing yeah yeah next dev arrives in the office with an update on the fingers case yeah i was really happy to read that dev was so successful you know first because they all needed this win but Mm -hmm. also because this was dev's first case cracked with the agency right it's kind of a special moment it is. I love that he was grinning broadly because he's clearly pretty proud and he enjoyed telling Strike the whole story of how he did it. Yeah. And their deadpan banter about his character was low-key really funny. He's like, oh, I bet he's discreet. Yeah, he is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's good. And he did it undercover, which is nice that they now have a man who's good at undercover stuff. It's definitely Mm -hmm. useful. I love the special engraved business card that Dev has. Mm -hmm. It just reminds me of Robin interviewing Holly Brockbank in Career of Evil as Phoenicia Hall. Yeah, it reminds me of Robin too. Maybe that's a sign of more undercover Dev coming in the future. Oh, maybe they can go undercover as a team at some point. That seems more likely because we're not going to get Dev's perspective by himself. Or maybe Strike will send him in after Robin in the run and grave if he thinks Robin's in trouble. Like, Mm. have Dev pretend to be her worried ex and have him barge into the cult to get her back without blowing her cover. Or, you know, confirm that she's alive or something. Yeah. Just trying to get a glimpse of her or something could be interesting. I really love Strike's reaction after Dev tells him what happened. It's just super adorable, like shaking his hand and telling him that he's Employee of the Week. I feel like Employee of the Week should get more than the handshake. Employee of the Week should get, like, the special chocolate-covered biscuits. With the special like foil wrappers on and everything. Like in Trouble Blood. Uh Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about Dev versus Robin and the whole romantic undercover angle? Because Mm. both Dev and Robin do this. I guess it's just an interesting conversation because I think people were a little harder on Robin for this. But I also understand being more worried about Robin than Dev. Because, you know, I'm not exactly nervous that Dev went home with two women. But I would Mm -hmm. be if Robin did it. Well, yeah. The fact that Dev is married makes me wonder a bit how he is handling this undercover romance stuff. Because he's not going to let some woman kiss him for the job. I think his wife wouldn't be pleased. But it's also hard to avoid it in that kind of situation without looking really suspicious. I mean, yeah, it would be, obviously, you're right. It would be way more dangerous for Robin to be alone like that. 
with a man. So I think the difference in perspective is reasonable there. I don't think there's any actual danger for Dev in this situation. No. I'm more wondering about how this undercover honeypot stuff works with him being married. I don't know. I didn't really think too much about that because I I think it kind of just depends on what he and his wife agree on. Okay. Obviously there are differences here, but it kind of reminds me of an actor kissing someone at work. Oh, yeah. You know, they might have an understanding, especially if he's done. I can't remember if it says he's done undercover stuff before. But I guess it just depends on what they've decided is is okay. And again, it makes me wonder what Strike and Robin will decide because. Yeah. Now I'm wondering if they're going to talk about it once they're together. It's going to come up, I think, at some point, you know. Yeah. I guess I'm just kind of curious what people's reactions would be if Dev had kissed this woman, if it would have been different to some of the reactions to Robin. Mm, I don't know. Here's something else since we're on the topic of the side case with Dev. I was talking to Anna Kiara a week or so ago, and she reminded me of how we talked about that theory for Troubled Blood that the side cases kind of reflect the main case. I was wondering if we had any thoughts about the side cases in Ink Black Heart and if we can find any clues or parallels to the main case. Well, the parallel between the earlier Groomer case and Tim and Zoe is definitely there. Mm-hmm. But off the top of my head, I can't think of any parallels with this Fingers case, really. What are you thinking? Here's what I'm thinking. I agree about Groomer, and I'm going to kind of set that one to the side because it seems a clear Zoe to Mashcroft mm-hmm. the pedophile reference. Yeah. My thought process started with the Ross case because I think you can argue that the abusive father could be a clue to Annamie's identity. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, You know, look for the other abusive father for the answer. Mm -hmm. But with Finkers, isn't it the stepson who is stealing from the client? Yeah. So maybe the targets of both of these investigations, Jago and Fingers, are pointing us to the killer and to Annamie. So look for the abusive father and then to the son. Okay, that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of like it. No, I get it. If anyone has any other ideas on this, please let us know. Because I just, I think this is an interesting yeah. thing to keep going over as we get each book. Um, I'm wondering if there's other parallels that I'm missing. Robin arrives at the office with an update on Annamie's troll posse. I like this bit where Robin notices how bad Strike looks because we read in the previous chapters from his perspective and we know how bad things actually are. But now that we're in Robin's head, we can see a whole different perspective of just how badly he's actually doing. And it just kind of adds to the tension of what's about to happen in the next chapter. Yeah. So when she gets to the bit about him having 48 hours of stubble, I'm like, Mm. oh, 48 hours of stubble for Strike would be like (laughs) pretty close to a proper beard. So part of him is looking pretty good. Yeah. I mean, yes, I noticed that too. We all noticed that. We're all really invested in Strike's beard at all times. Apparently. Yeah. Somewhere in general. Yeah. I can't be the only one who is reading these next few paragraphs with just a huge smile Mm. on my face, right? Because seeing all their new furniture arriving and reading about the new sofa and that the office had never looked better, it's just so heartwarming. You are not the only one whose heart is warmed by this. I really like it when you get these cozy, you know, day-to-day office scenes. Makes the fact that they're running an agency together feel more real it's a whole business they do the logistics it's kind of why i really liked that bit in trouble blood that talked about them cleaning the office that they take turns and stuff just those little the little logistical details that come with running a business and i love that they've got this nice new red sofa pat criticizing it and then grudgingly admitting that her office chair is now better is classic pat yeah i bet that strike got her a top of the line chair a sort of compensation for getting blown up insane lumbar support 
cushy as hell. The yeah. Ferrari of office chairs. That's what Pat's got now. You say you love the red sofa, but I think it's just because it's not the farting sofa. I mean, I don't not not love mm. it for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> but I bet you're right about the chair. Mm-hmm. We know that Strike can be very thoughtful when he wants to be with gifts. So I'm yeah. sure he wanted to do something nice for Pat. I wonder if her Aww. acknowledgement that it was a nice chair made him happy. Ah, I bet it did. Well, it did in my head now. Yeah, same. And I know I'm repeating myself here, but I think the office is kind of a representation of the whole Save et Coagula thing where you have to break something down in order to rebuild something wonderful. And I also think it's a bit of foreshadowing for what's to come for strike I hope. yeah i totally agree it's an effective metaphor it works yeah i can't wait to see him rebuild in the running grave i cannot explain how excited i am to read about post realizing its love strike yeah you don't have to explain we feel it too mm-hmm. we get it we're Deep all it. on the same page with this oh yeah we also get another mention of the glass door here when pat asks when they're going to replace it and i remember feeling like this better not be a setup only to let me down you know what we want with this joe come on <laughs> right and then she followed through she did amazing i also like pat's little comment here about wanting to be able to have a warning about who's at the door i'm yeah. not sure why i just i think it reflects that she's really Really good at being their office manager alert prepared observant she is exactly the kind of office manager that these two trouble magnets need yeah i love pat and here's where zoe calls again and this time she finally asks for robin and it's kind of funny to me how pat looks at strike to try and keep robin from answering the phone <laughs> i'm not really sure why pat thinks strike would be better to speak to a weirdo as pat called her maybe she thinks that robin will be too nice to the weirdo and she wants Strike to handle it to scare Maybe. them off properly. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. I was also thinking that she might pick up on or agree with Strike's protectiveness of mm. Robin and want to mm-hmm. see if Strike wants to take the call over Robin. Like she's I, checking yeah. in with him first. Yeah, I can see that too. Which I think is why Robin is like, give me the phone. I was just thinking Pat's going to have a front row to worried Strike in the running grave when Robin's undercover and it's going to be so good. But anyway, Zoe has realized that Robin was Jessica and she's asking for confirmation. Mm -hmm. And when Robin says she was, Zoe tells her she's scared and asks her to come over. This is kind of the start of the argument that's coming between Strike and Robin. And I have to say, I was nervous about this. Mm -hmm. It's not that I suspected Zoe, but I was worried that Annamie was holding her hostage and forcing her to make the call in order to get Robin to come there, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what Strike says in just a bit. So I was even more worried when he confirmed my fear. It's definitely something to be worried about. Listen, Mm -hmm. as a reader, you know, we're almost at the end of the book. The tension is ramping up, the pace, the chapters are shorter. We can recognize that something's coming and that this is the ideal setup for a climactic trap. Yeah, it is. We're like on the edge of our seat. I also realized that this is exactly why Joe set it up the way she did with everyone else at the agency being gone. So Barkley is on a plane coming back from Scotland. Strikes just sent Dev home. Mm -hmm. I suppose they could have called him to come back, but I understand why they don't want to do that to their employees. Yeah. I'm not sure where Midge is, but my point is that it immediately puts them at odds because Strike doesn't want to go in without a plan, but mm-hmm. he's also in terrible shape right now. Speaking of them being at odds, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed Pat watching this argument they're having like it was a tennis match. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, first of all, yeah, bust out the popcorn. Uh, me too, Pat. But I'm guessing this is this one of the first times they've argued in front of her? Because I can't remember any instances from Trouble Blood where they did. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I bet there's yeah. other times we haven't seen. Mm, yeah. Or maybe mm-hmm. they try to argue in 
their office with the door closed, like Pat's their child or something. <laughs> yeah, Robin's like, we have to present a united front to Pat. Otherwise, she's going <laughs> to undermine us. we got to be solid in front of Pat. What's really interesting to me is what Robin says to Pat at the end. She says, mm-hmm. if he tries punching anyone else or if he falls downstairs again, he'll be out of action for... And then, of course, he walks in and hears her. Mm-hmm. I just find her comment about him punching someone interesting. Do you think she means in a liability way or just that if he tried punching someone in his current state that he might hurt himself even more? Hmm. I just think that the liability thing is interesting because I think she thought about this in Trouble Blood with Oakton. Like he's risking the agency when he loses his temper. Oh, yeah. And I realize that I'm usually cheering him on when he does this because it always happens to these guys who really deserve it. (laughs) Yeah. But it just makes me wonder if we're going to see something in the running grave and there's a moment where Strike might have usually punched a guy but doesn't. Well, interesting. I thought that Robin, she means this in, in the second way that if he tried to fight someone, he'd hurt himself even more. She's concerned about his physical condition at the moment. We see from the stairs and from their upcoming argument. I think you're right that that's probably more likely from her wording. And she means maybe in defense Mm -hmm. of something bad happening. This idea of him refraining from punching someone in the running grave, though, is interesting because it fits with that whole self-improvement thing, right? Like restraint. But yeah, I think it's pretty guaranteed that Strike wants to punch someone. It's someone who deserves to be punched and we're going to want to see him punch. That's why we're always cheering him on. Yeah. But it is a risk that he probably needs to think about more. You know, Strike mm-hmm. has been lucky that the men he's punched can't or didn't press charges for one reason or another. It's just something that's been in my mind. I, I do agree that Robin probably means out yeah. of defense. But I'm bringing it up because I feel like it's something that I've thought about before. Yeah. That, oh, strike, you need to be careful with that. Yeah. I think if Oakton would have pressed charges, like that could really damage the agency. Yeah. They were lucky that Robin got in the way and he didn't end up actually hitting Oakton. Yeah. Or just grazing him or something. Yeah. But yeah, I could definitely see that coming up in the future. And then I just really, I have mixed feelings about Strike overhearing what Robin says. Ultimately, I'm really glad he did because I love the argument that they have. And he really Mm -hmm. does need to think about these things, but it does make me feel sad for him because of how it makes him feel. You can tell by the things he says in the next chapter that it hurt him. Yeah, I really feel for him here. All right, chapter 100. I remember when I got to this part in the book, I just looked at chapter 100 and I remember thinking, well, this is a bit crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 100. Yeah. Can't believe we've made it to chapter 100 in this. I know. Oh my God. All right. In chapter 100, Robin and Strike argue about what Strike overheard at the end of the last chapter. So the epigraph, but a wild courage sits triumphant there, the stormy grandeur of a proud despair, a daring spirit in its woes elate, mightier than death, untamable by fate. And that is The Wife of Asdrubal by Felicia Hemmons. Obviously, this is about their argument. And we know that the wild courage the passage is referencing is Robin's courage to confront Strike because the chapter tells us that she had to gather hers. Mm -hmm. And she's triumphant in the argument that she's making. Absolutely. It's interesting to me that this poem is, I believe it's describing a moment during the fall of Carthage, an ancient city being destroyed, rest the ground after a lengthy siege. Because isn't that where Strike is at now? he's been demolished he's been broken down robin needs him to acknowledge that and start rebuilding like they rebuilt the city is the second line strike because it feels very strike to me i mean technically aka grammatically no because the cause is modifying the subject of the sentence the courage 
However, I am perfectly uh, happy to ignore grammar when it suits me. And the stormy grandeur of a proud despair describes strike in this chapter so well that I'm like, yeah, that's strike. Well, yeah, because I mean, she didn't write it. Right. No, she's just yeah. picking she's it. Just so picking it's just, it. it's one of those times where one line seems really suited to Robin and the other seems really suited to Strike. Mm-hmm. And it is. There are a few things that I really like about this opening paragraph. One, I love that Robin knows Strike so well that she can tell that him being silent here is not one of their comfortable silences. She's picking up on the prickly quality of his silence. It's really it's good. Prickly. I feel like he's probably not being quiet about the prickliness. I mean, he is literally silent. But Mm -hmm. it's not a quiet, like it's a loud silence. I think his face is not subtle. But yeah, she knows him so well. Yeah. And obviously she knows what's just happened and that he's heard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The tension of that silence is good. Yeah. And I love that she has to muster up the courage to say something and address it because we know that Robin is a peacemaker. Yeah. I feel like there are examples of Robin not standing up for herself with her mother or Matthew, but she doesn't do that here. And I think it's a sign of the strength of Strike and Robin's relationship and how much she values it, that she forces herself to find the courage to argue with him. I also love that she takes the time here to find the right words because she knows that this is a really sensitive topic for him. She knows that just yelling is going to make it worse or, you know, approaching it without thinking it through. He does need to hear these things, mm. you know? Yeah. He absolutely does. The way Robin approaches the conversation made me so happy because she's making a reference to the thing he said in Lethal White at the racetrack, which besides the prologue is my favorite chapter. Mm -hmm. She says, you said to me once that we've got to be honest with each other or we're screwed. And I love this line because I feel like they both really need to apply this to all the aspects of their relationship. Mm -hmm. And I think it might come back at one point because I was really holding on to that line for Ink Black Heart. I thought it was going to be important. Important. And I'm yeah. still thinking that it could come back. Yeah, I guess it same. was important, right? Not in the way I was thinking, but I guess it did come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love her approach because she's bringing up a time when she was the one who was struggling. And in doing so, she's putting them on an equal level. She's reminding him that they're partners and that they both have vulnerability. She's sort of leveling this playing field. And I feel like it's a smart way to do this with him. It is. And it's actually really sweet. Yeah, it's it a sweet really thing to sweet. do. It is. Also, an explicit callback from Parallel to Lethal White. Yes, another they, one. They just keep coming. Robin is just so good at this stuff. Yeah, she gets Strike. And of course, she's absolutely right about the argument that she's making. What mm. Strike said to her about needing to get her panic attacks under control is the exact same thing as him needing to take care of himself physically. Exactly. Strike and Robin have to rely on each other in so many ways, so much more so than other business partners would need to do because of Mm -hmm. the dangerous aspect of their job. Mm -hmm. So there really is more of that crossover with the personal and professional that Robin Mm -hmm. kind of talks about here where he's making it her business. Yeah. What Strike does next, though, (laughs) is a little too relatable for my liking. He pushes Robin to really spell it out that he looks terrible and she knows he's in pain so that he could really be mad about it. (laughs) He Mm -hmm. does. So stubborn. And I love the way that Joe's written this line. Strike, who now knew exactly where the conversation was heading, set his jaw in a manner that Robin, had she seen it, would have described as mulish. I love that. And I love that. Because he knows what Robin is saying. And yeah, he's not going to make it easier for her. Mm -hmm. The emphasis on the fact that she isn't looking at him, but she's keeping her eyes on the road. I feel like this is Robin's way of giving him just a little bit of 
protection or privacy for this vulnerable moment, you know, oh. so that he can feel whatever he's feeling without her witnessing it. Oh, yeah, that's a good observation. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that you're right. But I think that she also might be doing it because it would be harder for her to look at him and say these things, mm-hmm. maybe. Maybe yes. it, it builds her courage a little bit to not look. That's definitely probably a part of it, too. Also, like, not wanting to crash the car. Yeah, that, I guess that's true, too. I guess. But we know that she looks away at the end. Yeah. When they're talking really vulnerably with each other, it's hard for them to look at each other. Yeah. Well, like, in Trouble Blood and 58, they're in like the dark. It's dark. If I have to blindfold these two to get a conversation out of them, I'll fucking do it. No, no, their <laughs> eyes are wide open now. Yeah, I was thinking the opposite. I, I no. want full eye contact contacts yeah intense mm, yes intense conversation yeah oh my god so good strike he can't argue with what she's saying about being honest and her panic attacks so he wants her to say something that he can justifiably be angry about and it's just one of those times where joe just nails human nature and makes it painful and funny to read at the same time oh mm-hmm. it so is and of course it aggravates robin as yeah. I'm sure he was intending it to. <laughs> Do you remember their one argument in Career of Evil mm-hmm. about her coming back to work when he feels like he's losing in terms of points, but gets some <laughs> satisfaction from her making her lose her cool? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he's just trying to irritate her so that she loses it. So it can, <laughs> it's really funny. Yeah. But anyway, I love it when he pushes her to yell at him because that's when the truth bombs drop when she starts yeah. yelling. This argument is just so good. I love so every second of it because I don't think Robin is even a little bit wrong about what she's saying to Strike. But Mm -hmm. I also love that Strike's response is so full of insecurities about how Robin sees him. It's very telling the way he responds where he's hurt by Robin saying that he looks terrible. He says, I'm a middle-aged cripple you'd rather leave in the car. Oh, yes. And her response to this, all italics, who said anything about your age? Because she hasn't and she wouldn't because we know it's not a problem for her. I know. I just wonder if he'll analyze that bit of the argument later in his head and if he might feel a bit reassured by her response here when he starts to like analyze Mm -hmm. it we've just never seen strike so insecure Mm -hmm. and while i feel sad that he's hurt it's nice to see this more vulnerable side to him yeah i completely agree with that you know it's funny strike has already felt like such a real three-dimensional character this far Mm -hmm. into the series but getting to read stuff like this and seeing a whole new part of him out in the open just adds this whole new interesting layer to his personality and it's really nice to read he's like shrek he's got like you have no idea how hard i had to resist (laughs) to not make that reference in there oh my god he's like a parfait everyone loves a parfait yeah On the other hand, I think another reason why I find this argument so interesting is because I also don't disagree with Strike about wanting to come up with a plan first. Mm -hmm. Personally, there's literally no way I would have just agreed to go over to Zoe's and then (laughs) gone in without a solid plan first. Yeah. So I get both sides, you know, but it just it makes me wonder if once Strike loses weight and becomes more healthy, if we'll get to see them coming up with a plan where they're Mm -hmm. both just at their absolute best you know yeah they've both come up with some um how shall i phrase it some weak plans mm. in the past yeah <laughs> robin with brockbank and Kirbyville strike yep. with whatever he was planning with tassel and silkworm but i feel like they'll definitely be a bit better if they're putting their heads together on plans and, and at full capacity you know yeah it would be so much fun to read them doing something like that yeah plotting you know? <laughs> yes strike and robin plotting 
the peak of this argument though is when robin loses it and slams her hands on the steering wheel and says that he's not being honest with her or himself and we get this line which i'm sure is one of all of our favorites Mm. you know why i'm saying this i don't want to lose you happy now oh fantastic love it so robin slamming her hands on the steering wheel is another callback to that point in Lethal White, right? Because she does this when she screams no at Grant Wynn, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, all caps, Robin is my favorite Robin. And she's now bringing out the fox. Mm-hmm. She's throwing out the fox and I fucking love it. Yes, mm-hmm. because she has so many to give with Strike. Exactly. He's mm-hmm. the only one who brings out because she gives a fox. She gives all of the fox about him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to not make the joke that I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've made it before. We touched on this just a second ago, but Robin's comments about Strike not being honest with her or with himself, I feel like it works on so many levels than just what we're talking about here. Oh yeah, it's got to come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next two paragraphs are good because Strike automatically responds that he's not happy a toddler no i'm not yeah no i'm not (laughs) but it says in some barely acknowledged part of his brain he'd registered her words and they'd lightened a burden he'd barely known he was carrying i love this because on the surface i don't want to lose you is a perfectly reasonable thing to say to a platonic best friend slash partner right of course yeah but Mm -hmm. strike feels that it means more because he's so in tune with Robin and she did mean more by it. Like he yeah. can feel what she's putting into it. Robin's thoughts are equally as good when it says she's infuriated by the lack of acknowledgement of something it had cost her a great deal to admit. Mm-hmm. I just want them to say words out loud. Oh both God. of them. I wish that Strike had yelled at her at this point that he doesn't want to lose her either. Because I feel like I'm... that would have been a very productive road for this argument to take. Yeah. Right. Why Why doesn't he do that? Why? It would have been a perfectly reasonable thing to say because they are also arguing about her going to Zoe and he's scared for her. Yes. I'm it would so have made annoyed. So much sense. I'm so annoyed that he didn't say that. Uh, I really, really want him to tell her that he doesn't want to lose her in the running grave. I really want that. Anyway, it's so hard not to want to read the whole rest of this chapter out loud because it's so good. It really is. It's right up there among my favorite scenes in this novel. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. I really want to talk about this bit where Robin says that she knows he thinks she's some ditzy, naive fool who merrily walks into dangerous situations. And Strike says that he doesn't think that twice. In fact, she says something similar in just a bit too. And again, he says he doesn't think that. Yeah, I hate that this image, this notion of herself that feels like it was created by Matthew, honestly, mm-hmm. just lives mm-hmm. in her head rent-free even years after they've split up. He doesn't think that way about you. Yeah, I just think that it's an important distinction to make when talking about Robin and Mm risk-taking. I don't think anyone who really knows and loves her as a character would say these things, and I don't ever think that Strike would say or think so either. She's definitely not ditzy or naive, but that doesn't mean that there aren't arguments to be made about how she approaches risks. I guess I just really like this argument because there's really two bits to it and I can understand where they're both coming from. Yeah, totally. It's a nuanced argument. And honestly, it's one that is guaranteed like 500% less toxic and more productive than literally any argument that Charlotte and Strike (laughs) ever had ever. Yeah, right. Robin's instincts about people 
are playing a big part in her argument here. She says that she knows Zoe, that 20 minutes was enough for her to judge that this isn't a trap, and she's right. She just has to start making sure that there's a safety net when she goes with her instincts, you know, like just in case. Yeah, because it kind of reminds me of what Joe said when she talked about mm-hmm. her Robin taking risks, where she mm-hmm. said that it does turn out okay, but it might not have. Yeah. But I guess my bigger point, though, is not about Robin taking this risk or being right or wrong about Zoe. My point is that her instinct is to take strike being worried as criticism of her character or her intelligence and not that he cares about her. And I'd really like to see her thinking shift there. Mm -hmm. I guess they're both really showing their insecurities here. Yeah. And again, I'm so annoyed that you've pointed out that he should have said that he doesn't want to lose her too. Right. That would have been the perfect counter to her saying, you think I'm this. And he could have said, no, it's that I don't want to lose you either. God. uh, Yeah. I just, I hope we get some payoff for that where he says something similar. He has to. He has to. There's a lot Uh, of things that both of them have to say. I know, but but I'm going to be killing me now. Yeah. Because it was the perfect opportunity for him. (sighs) This next quote is so good. Strike was processing what he just heard. I don't want to lose you. Was that something a woman would say about what he feared in his darkest moments he'd become? A croc, a fat 40-year-old, one-legged chain smoker, deluded about his attractiveness and competence, still imagining himself the gifted amateur boxer with a washboard stomach who'd been capable of pulling the most beautiful woman at Oxford University. We just have to pull out the emotions closet for this one because Mm -hmm. there are just so many feelings here. It Mm -hmm. makes me sad but hopeful for the running grave and I also find it so sweet that in all of that he's so worried about how she sees him. Yeah, he is. We know that he's going to be making changes to his health in the running grave. I think that part of his motivation for sticking with those changes is going to come from this fear from wanting to be as attractive to Robin as he can manage yeah wants to look good for her you know wants to smell nice I agree and also washboard abs (laughs) that's the important part I was about to say I'm like I know you saw that I'm waiting for the comment on that I think we talked about this in our reactions episode which is so funny that those two words made it we remembered (laughs) to talk about this after we had just finished that book and we're so unprepared to record an episode we remembered that (laughs) yeah of course I mean that's on brand yeah I mean any references to strikes body I feel like that's an automatic make a note oh man but seriously, it's the deluded about his attractiveness that is mm-hmm. also so telling about the thing he's really worried about. Mm-hmm. I think he's very worried that Robin seeing him as a liability professionally also means that she does not or could not find him attractive because of the things he's afraid he's become. So yeah, Aww. I think you're right, Pools, that this is going to be a big motivation for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope we get to see him think about that. Oh my god. I hope we get to see Robin think about it. Yeah. There's another part that's helping the flip side with Robin that is even better the ending part of this line just oh my god gets me in the feelings every time so it says but Robin wasn't feeling comforted on the contrary she felt vulnerable and exposed because she just said what she'd been trying not to say for a long time and was scared that strike had heard in that I don't want to lose you more than her worry that he'd do himself some cataclysmic injury in hauling himself up the steep concrete steps to Zoe's building. She feared he'd divined her pain at the idea of Madeline and her wish for an intimacy that she was trying to persuade herself she didn't crave. Oh my god. Fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's appropriate. Isn't there another moment in another book where she said she was afraid that she'd give herself away? I can't 
remember. I think there it is. It feels familiar. Yeah, it is Lethal White. Oh, yeah. Chapter 61. She was afraid of giving herself away, afraid of betraying what she had thought and felt because she was sure that if he ever had the merest suspicion of what a disruptive factor he had been in both the beginning and the end of her marriage, it would surely taint their working relationship as certainly as it would surely prejudice her job if he ever knew about the panic attacks. Dramatic irony at its finest. I knew there was another line that says that, and of course it's Lethal White. Mm -hmm. But this passage is just so, it's a beautiful passage. Mm -hmm. She's so afraid of her feelings and of Strike knowing her feelings. I'm just, (laughs) again, I'm not going to survive the running grave, I don't think. Or just the next few books in the series. How are we going to make it through? I'm not. I'm going to have to haunt them to read them. (laughs) For some reason, the phrasing here where Robin is wishing for intimacy with Strike really hits me hard. I don't know. Just something about intimacy being both physical closeness and emotional closeness. She wants to be on the inside of his life, right? Just like how he wants to be her main man. I agree. That wording really got me too. And it made me think that she also uses this word when Strike stays the night with Robin and there was an intimacy to sharing space and giving him clean towels. Yeah. But it also made me think that Joe has used this word since the beginning, since Mm -hmm. Cuckoo's Calling. And it's always stood out to me because it really speaks to the closest you can be with someone. And like you said, not just physically, but emotionally. Yeah. And I think she wants both, obviously. Yeah. But he thinks the word twice in Cuckoo's Calling when he's trying to avoid it with Robin. Yeah. And then he thinks about it in Career of Evil after she shares her past with him. And then again in Troubled Blood when he's thinking about Robin and wondering if she could have feelings for him. I'm just saying that I I like that she uses this word. Mm-hmm. I think it does a beautiful job at evoking that feeling of connection between them. Yeah, it really does. I love that it was an intimacy she was trying to persuade herself that she didn't crave. Oh, she craved what a that word. like potato chips. Mm. <laughs> All of the words. I just, as always, I'm just so impressed by Joe's talent. This yeah. chapter is amazing at bringing so many things to a head and having this explosion of emotion contrasted with each of their internal pain and that they're still hiding. Yes. You know, they're saying so much, but also so little. As is their brand yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. this is just a really good chapter it is really good and it ends with robin telling strike her plan and basically telling him what to do again and Mm. it's not a plan that i think i'd personally love doing but i think it's the best they have at the moment i would have wanted to take a little bit more than just a rape alarm if i were robin like maybe a knife or a baseball bat or something (laughs) i mean baseball bat might be tricky in a small small space i didn't think zoe's place was so small that she couldn't hit someone with a bat but i guess any blunt object would do something if only she had had that ugly brass frog of the chisels from lethal white you know (laughs) like i was armed i'm still so mad that we didn't get a little reveal in that scene ken's when she's like i was armed that we didn't get strike realizing that what she meant by armed was that she had a paperweight (laughs) 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 because his reaction would have been fucking hilarious to that like like, really oh i really wish he'd probed a bit further on that i was armed comment (laughs) yeah that was so freaking funny oh my god I know we say this all the time, but they really do have productive arguments because mm-hmm. even this one where Robin is yelling and hitting the steering wheel, it ends well. 
you know, he tells her to be careful and she firmly says she will. I feel like this bit where Robin says, anyone looking out the window would think twice about hurting me knowing you're outside. Must have been a bit of a soothing pat to Corman's ego that's been a bit bruised because... I mean, knowing that he still looks mean and tough and scary enough to intimidate the bad guy, you know, that's something. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't think she said this just to soothe his ego because I thought she meant it because we do see this happen when Tomashkov the pedophile shows up. So I thought it was genuine because it it is true. Oh, yeah, I agree. She definitely meant it. I was just thinking it also functions as a truth that makes him feel a bit better, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Soothe his ego with some facts. Also, just in general, as kind of an overall thing about this chapter, there are a few times where Strike says that he thinks he'd be useless in a knife fight or Robin says that she'd be more worried about him right now than herself. I think it's all major foreshadowing for the end of the book. Yep, it definitely is. Or later (laughs) that night, right? Because this is all just one day. Oh, yeah, shit. Yeah, that's right, right? So they go from the office to Zoe's to the Ludwell's to the Upcots, right? Yeah, they do. Oh Oh my God. It reminds me of Deathly Hallows where it's all one day from when they break into Gringotts to the end of the book. It's a lot to come into one day. Okay, let's go to chapter 101. No Dalmatians. Dalmatians? No Dalmatians (laughs) this time. Alrighty, so in chapter 101, Robin speaks to Zoe face to face. And the epigraph. My men and women of disordered lives broke up those waxen masks I made them wear with fierce contortions of the natural face and cursed me for my tyrannous constraint. And that is Aurora Lee by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I think that this is definitely referring to enemy. He's lost control of his little digital fiefdom here. All of his mods have deserted him. Oracle Drek can't do what he wants and is pushing back and now worm exposes his puppet paper white the fear script that he has had on these people is gone because you just can't control people like that but i think it might also have a double meaning with tim ashcroft the pedophile and zoe because in the poem this is romney speaking complaining that people rebelled against his charity work that he had rocks thrown through his windows because of it and you know his tone here is very much you know these stupid people just don't understand what's good for them that what i'm doing is is right but given what we know of the tim and zoe slash romney and marion parallel I think this is also referring to the tight grip he's kept on Zoe to try and hide his predatory behavior and his hypocrisy. That grip has slipped as well, and he's about to lose control of her entirely. I also like the idea of masks being removed and slipping. Yes. Especially with anime, since we know that he wears these creepy masks, and he hides behind so many masks, and here a big one is removed for us. Yeah, anime's mask. He's about to be unmasked as well, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. He doesn't have much longer. Nope, hours at this point. Oh my god. Neither does Amigo. <laughs> <laughs> So the chapter starts with Robin knocking on Zoe's door and being let in. When it says that Robin had been right, that there wasn't anyone else in the room, I remember thinking, look behind the door. Robin, look behind the door. Clear the room properly. Yes. I want like police style where they, you know. Goes in with the rape alarm poised. Yep. And obviously, I think the reason why the tension is there for the reader is because it's setting us up for what's about to happen in just a few chapters. It is. Especially because behind the door, 
is literally where Gus is going to be hiding. Yeah. So, yeah, clear the room. Was anyone else reminded of Luna's bedroom in Deathly Hallows when Robin looks around at all the drawings pinned up on the wall? Oh. I love that. Okay, that comparison is giving me all kinds of emotions. Yeah. Robin complimenting Zoe on her talent here so sincerely. It's just, it makes me so happy. And the way Zoe is briefly happy as well because someone's saying something nice to her. Mm. But also, this line the extraordinary unstoppable effusions of an incurable creative tell me that that doesn't apply to joe's writing as well Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's what that is so zoe explains that the reason she wanted to see robin is because anime threatened to kill strike and robin and zoe believes he'll do it since she thinks that he's the one who killed Edie. but what i absolutely love about this part is that zoe mentioned paper white and that's when robin asks if she can talk to paper white in the game and admits that she's buffy paws oh (laughs) i feel a bit sad now that zoe's lost her friend Buffy pause. I know. Robin's I know all about the game here makes me laugh because yeah, she knows too much. It has yeah. literally been a full-time job for her being in this bloody game. It's like mm-hmm. an understatement. I can't really explain what sort of itch this scratches, but I was really hoping for a reveal like this from Robin to someone in the game where they find out it's been her and that they're shocked. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably would have been a little more satisfying if it was Hartella, but I still really <laughs> right. enjoyed this. It makes me wonder how angry Gus is going to be at trial when it all comes out. Oh, he's going to be pissed. But jumping into the chats, we have the mod channel going where Anime wants Borkeldrek to get rid of private chats. And then we have Paperwhite and Worm, where Worm is telling Paperwhite that she thinks Anime killed Edie. Mm-hmm. I think we really just have to focus on the biggest thing here. And that's that this is where Robin realizes. I think mm-hmm. this is where she realizes that Anime is Paperwhite. Yep. I absolutely love the way Robin dramatically switches chats to prove her point you know she does the it's weird you never type at the same time in the mod chat and then the isn't it in the chat with paperwhite i loved that it's fantastic good good i feel like she's really picked up a flair for the dramatic reveal from strike they're so good at it they're Mm -hmm. so good this is an absolutely mind-blowing moment for me first read through because Mm -hmm. it instantly changes everything that we've seen in these chats is now thrown into a completely different light and suddenly everything with morehouse is now horrifying Mm -hmm. yeah it's an a plus reveal It's really well done. It makes me think of what you've said before about how this reveal causes the biggest shift in how you see the book when you reread. It really does. This book has to be reread. The first time that I read her going back and forth between those chats and everything falling into place, oh my God, the way I had to put my phone down from where I was reading it and just walk away and be like, I cannot believe I just fucking read that. I mean, that that twist (laughs) is just, it was right up there with it being revealed that Scabbers had been Peter Pettigrew the whole time. Oh my God. Yes. That was another horrifying reveal. I'm also noticing this time that when you look at who was in the mod chat, it doesn't say that Paperwhite is in there. It just Mm -hmm. says Borgledrek, Worm, and Anime. And right before the end of the chat, Paperwhite responds to what's going on in the mod chat. So Anime asks if Worm would be comfortable if Anime could see her private chat. And when she says yes, Paperwhite responds in the private chat and says, liar, you're in trouble now. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was the fact that they weren't ever typing at the same time that clued Robin in. But I think this must have been a part of that 
too, that Paper White is responding to something that she really shouldn't have been able to see. Absolutely. And the fact that this is happening pretty much simultaneously means that it couldn't be because enemies telling Paper White what's happened in a side chat. It can only mean that Paper White is also one of the three people in that mod chat. Yeah. I wonder if Robin would have figured this out a little sooner if she had been able to get in that mod chat. Possibly. Mm. It would depend on how early she got in. Yeah. Do you think that there's any risk with doing this from Zoe's account? Because if Anime knows who she is and she's just blown his cover, you know, he's raging at Worm. Mm -hmm. And I know that by the end of the night, he'll be caught and in jail, but Robin doesn't know that yet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. she doesn't. I think there's definitely a huge risk here. But Robin knows that they can help Zoe get away and get to a safe place for now. Plus, I think that she and Strike are both feeling that this letter they're going to talk to Grant about is going to be the break in the case that they need to solve it because Mm -hmm. that's a direct link to enemy in real life. So maybe she thinks they're going to be able to wrap it up soon and can protect Zoe until they do. Maybe. Mm -hmm. It was a risk though. Yeah. And we know that pushing him like this made him start raging and well, we we know what he does later. Mm, yep. I also just feel terrible for Zoe when she realized that she got banned. Yeah. I think she's more afraid of anime at this point mm-hmm. than she is sad about not being in the game. But you know that has to be hard for her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once, I mean, once she has processed it and starts thinking about it, she's going to be heartbroken because this game is basically her entire support system. I bet it hits her later when she's in the hotel yeah. room because she's probably so used to just logging on. Yeah, it's going to hit her. Mm, yeah. Poor thing. But you know she must have just felt complete terror when Robin explained that Paperwhite was anime because mm-hmm. of how she was just talking to Paperwhite. Oh my god, yeah. If I was Zoe, I'd be booking it out of there too. I know. Mm-hmm. They also talk about Tim Ashcroft the pedophile and it's horrible. Mm. But I think the biggest takeaway from the ending of this chapter is that Zoe thinks that Nils is anime. As much as I don't like Nils, I didn't really get the sense that he was particularly mean-spirited or violent did either of you no i got the sense he'd usually be way too stoned to bother doing any of this yeah that was my reasoning too yeah he didn't really fit the profile for me but this tim ashcroft pedophile shit zoe saying it was her fault because she kissed him first because she wanted to get physical makes Mm -hmm. me sick because this is absolutely classic pedo grooming manipulation tactics it's literally textbook oh i'm so excited for this next chapter i'm just i'm so excited yeah it does it makes me really sad how much zoe believes that she needs therapy yes yeah we can't start this next chapter fast enough am i right Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) all right let's get to it chapter 102 okay one of our favorite chapters in this chapter strike confronts tim ashcroft the pedophile the epigraph to this chapter reads And since you've proved so vile, I, vile, I say, will show it presently. You tricked poor Marian Earl and set her own love digging its own grave within her green hope's pretty garden ground. Again, from Aurora Lee by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. You know what I'm kind of annoyed by? Why did it take me until Joe said this on Twitter that she paralleled Zoe with Marian Earl to see it? When it's literally right here. It is. It's right here. There, yep. Right in front of us. Zoe has been exploited and abused. Tim has used her love of him to take advantage of her, to control her life, to make her miserable. In the poem, this passage is addressed to Lady Waldemar, but I don't think that that matters so much because the parallel with what's happened to Zoe is so clear here. The chapter switches to strike in the car reading the tweets on the anime posse as 
Robin called it. And it's hard to remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure at this point it all clicked for me that they were all anime. Mm-hmm. Just because we've just had the reveal about anime being paper white. And then the way this opening paragraph is set up, it seems obvious. It really does. Robin doesn't write her conclusion down because mm-hmm. she worries she might be seeing things. But the way the similarities of phrasing are laid out so clearly brings Strike and the reader to the exact same conclusion without it needing to be spelled out because it's suddenly yeah. so obvious. I don't really know if we want to or need to go through all the tweets because no. they're all just awful. I'm so tired yeah. of reading horrible tweets at I know. this point. Robin's done <laughs> such a good job of putting it all together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must have been a lot of tedious work, but she did a good job. And I love that she's also figured out the whole Zoltan thing too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I just love this feeling we get with the ending of the last chapter and the beginning of this one where all of these usernames that we've seen spinning around all book are kind of spiraling down and all coming together mm-hmm. to form one person mm-hmm. having a huge image of a toilet flushing, which is oh, not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, flush all of these Twitter yeah. trolls down the toilet. Yeah. And it's also suddenly so clear that all of the Twitter act- interactions that we've been seeing are absolutely really important to the plot whereas maybe previously readers might have been like "Ugh, more of these fucking twitter nazis why yeah it's like because it's a clue you know like i've said before these twitter posts as fucking awful as they are to read Mm -hmm. and as much as i know that they irritated people reading them they do such a good job of painting a vivid picture of the sort of person that Gus has become without us ever having spent more than like five minutes with him in the book. You can see how deeply entrenched he is in all of this Mm -hmm. awfulness. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I really like that observation, Ken's, because you're so right. So true. It almost feels like the Lang chapters in Career of Evil, you know, you really really get inside his head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But let's jump to the good part because We've all been excited to get to strike confronting Tim Ashcroft, the pedophile. I have been counting down the days. This is like my Christmas. I love it. (laughs) Yes. Merry Strikemas to you. Merry Strikemas to me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why, but I love Strike saying oi so much. (laughs) Same. Reminds me of the chant. That's where one of his nicknames come from. It's like, Augie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Yeah, it's just, it's not a friendly hello. No, it is not a friendly, excuse me. It's like, oi, you, over here. It's definitely setting the tone for this interaction. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I also love how scared Tim Ashcroft the pedophile is when Strike says that he's a pedophile and has this relationship with zoe it's so satisfying uh just chef's fucking kiss honestly Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. is about time and as always seeing strike put shitty men in their place is just amazing every time he's real good at it never gets old and when tim ashcroft the pedophile decides he feels braver (laughs) once he sees that strike is missing a leg and is on crutches i laughed out loud when strike responded (laughs) with the thing about not making an ableist joke because he's tying it (laughs) he's tying it in with the pet of justice it's so funny. so funny It's just so funny how Strike just keeps saying what he knows one thing after another. Like he's Mm -hmm. just piling it on. Mm -hmm. You have this relationship with an underage girl. You're the pen of justice. It's just Strike is not fucking around here. He's going straight Mm -mm. for this guy's jugular. I bet he wants him to leave as soon as possible. He doesn't want want him to get the fuck out of there. I mean, it's honestly Strike at his best. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. when he said the bit about, oh, she should have realized your dick was inside her platonically. Oh, I. 
I have never wanted to high five someone so much in my life. Oh, I love the rage behind it's his sarcasm. So good. It's so good. It's like right up there with mm-hmm. you don't have to call me sir professor in terms yeah. of iconic lines. His comebacks in this book especially feel just like especially good. They are pretty good. This one is outstanding. I'm also, as I've mentioned, a huge fan of the line, my take on why the pen of justice is a pedophile and why that should fucking trouble you. (laughs) Because because he's absolutely shredding Ashcroft the pedophile with like forensic accuracy. He's taking apart his hypocrisy, his virtue signaling, his shitty pretentious internet takes, him being a a pedophile child rapist, all of it, all of Mm -hmm. it wrapped up in a delicious threat to expose him as the piece of shit that he is. It's chef's kiss for me. Mm, I need the closet. Which closet? I'm not going to (laughs) say. I know this is going to come as a huge surprise to everyone, but I love him. Yeah. You know? Shocking. And then this is where Strike tells him that he's going to try and convince Zoe to go to the police, which Mm. I doubt will happen, at least right now. But then he threatens to perform an amputation on Tim Ashcroft the pedophile that will not be his leg if he ever comes near Zoe again. And I, too just love him this might be my all-time favorite strike moment and i Mm. think that he should stop feeling so insecure about himself because he has never been sexier (laughs) if robin had witnessed this i don't think she could have stopped herself from jumping him to i couldn't have who could resist that (laughs) threatening pedophiles is like top tier sexy behavior from a man i'm sorry (laughs) guys you want tips go around threatening to cut off pedophiles dicks we love it. We love it. <laughs> and roll your shirt sleeves up. Oh, yeah. Tips. Shirt sleeves. Shirt sleeves. Violence against pedophiles. Yes. The chapter ends with Robin coming out with Zoe and explaining that Zoe is going to take her hotel room that night. And Tim Ashcroft, the pedophile, is running away. And Zoe is crying. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I love the way Robin is getting out of staying at the hotel. <laughs> right? She so yep. is. She's like, oh, I can't stay now. Can't, Zoe's uh, there. I Oops. know it won't matter later. But at the moment, she's thinking, I'm free. I'm free. Is free. <laughs> yeah, I, like she couldn't have just gotten Zoe another room. No, she's no. like, she's taking my room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Can't be so held, funny. You know? Oh, I love it. Shrike isn't super soft with Zoe here at the end when he tells her that Ashcroft doesn't want to see her. <laughs> Yeah. Robin says in the beginning of 103 that he could have been more sympathetic. And Strike says, I am sympathetic. Why do you think I just threatened to rip Ashcroft's dick off? (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's one of those things that Joe does really well, where she shows some of the differences Mm -hmm. between men and women. You know what I mean? Not Mm -hmm. all, but you know. No, yeah, I get it. Honestly, for me, Strike was serving up some serious, tough love, big dad mm-hmm. energy at the end of this scene. Yes. You know, the bit where he's like, we'll talk about this in the car. Get in. Yeah. I, that's peak dad. That is very mm-hmm. dad. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. It BDE all around in this all chapter. Around. In yes. all the ways. Every mm-hmm. single Every way. Every single way. Yep. Yeah. It's just nice to see that Strike really does care about these things. He might mm-hmm. not express it in the same way that Robin does. Or thinking back to Career of Evil, he might realize when he has to back off but it's clear that he really does care yeah he really does and oh that is another thing that i'm really looking forward to in the running grave if there's some kind of sexual abuse involved in this cult he's gonna care about it just when i think my longing for running grave has reached its peak yeah yeah he's gonna care especially if the thing that i'm kind of thinking is gonna happen where lucy talks about something yes then he's gonna be Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Oh, I can't wait. 
But I just love that during the ending part of this whole book, we have Mm -hmm. this huge fight between them, Mm -hmm. but we see a couple of really good examples of them being just the best team, you know, here with Zoe, where Robin is the sympathetic one and Strike is threatening Ashcroft and just the good cop, bad cop that's coming up next. They're just Mm -hmm. so good together. Mm -hmm. Joe is just, she's just a genius. Yes. Yep. These yep. books are just so good. Agreed on they are. all points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Co-signed. All right. Those were fun chapters. Yes. Yeah, yes, that they was were. good shit. All right. So this is the last time where I can ask you, Kens, what are we doing next time? Oh, man. Next episode is going to be our last Ink Black Heart episode. So mm-hmm. it'll be covering chapters 103 to 107. And Paula is going to be joining us for that. So that'll be fun. Mm, yep. And in that set of chapters, we have the interview with Grant Ledwell. There's the showdown with Gus. And then, you know, Strike and Robin in the hospital at the very end of the book. Oh, Dakota. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, my God. I can't believe that we're at the end. Neither can I. But that just means that we are so close. So much closer grave. to the running grave. Oh, my God. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy what you've heard, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at the SE Files Pod. You can also contact us on our website at thesefilespod.com or email us directly at sefilespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much again for listening, and we hope to catch you next time for another episode of the Strike and Ellicott Files.